Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, a conversation designed to help leaders go further, faster. I'm Andy Stanley, and today I am joined by my friend, famous author, speaker, leader. I knew him before any of that was true, my good friend, John Acuff. John, welcome to the podcast studio. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's fun to, uh, we were just talking before we turned on the air that we've done this for 15 years together. So it's fun to have a, a bunch of history to, between us. Yeah. And just, uh, again, watching your career in the last nine years specifically, it's just, it's just been amazing. Um, before we jump into content, for those of you who don't know, um, John is an Inc. Magazine Top 100 Leadership Speaker. Um, he has spoken literally to hundreds of thousands of people at conferences and for company events around the world. And when I say companies, I mean like FedEx, Nissan, Microsoft, Lockheed Martin, Chick-fil-A, um, and Comedy Central, which isn't a complete surprise because John is one of the funniest people you will ever meet. Um, he's also a New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including Finish, Give Yourself the Gift of Done, which was a Wall Street Journal number one bestseller, which was amazing. Um, his latest book, Soundtracks, is what we're going to be talking about, the uh, subtitle, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. But before we jump into that, John just reminded me years ago, uh, my son Andrew, I guess he was in high school at the time, and he comes home with a book, and it's, was it your first book, John? Yeah, it was my like first it? book, Stuff Christians Like. Yeah, stuff Christians like. And I'm like, Andrew, where did you get that book? And he bought it. And I think it was the first book he ever bought with his own money. So there you go. That's the highest compliment a teenager can pay you, by the way, (laughs) is when they buy a book. Like that is is the highest compliment. And then read it. Yeah, it may be the first book he ever read. I I, I don't know. I don't (laughs) think he's ever read any of mine. Anyway, the reason that, one of the reasons we have John today is because recently, a few months ago, I actually heard him teach the content that we're going to discuss. And I immediately turned to my producer and said, hey, we please, let's get John on the podcast to talk specifically about this. So anyway, John, so thrilled that you're here. Um, the title of the book is Soundtracks. And I have to let you know up front and our audience up front, I'm going to interrupt you two or three times because there were things that jumped out to me and hit me personally with this content that I just am going to, I'm just going to have to reiterate. And I hope I um, don't interrupt too much, but it was so powerful to me. And I've heard you speak so many times and your content is always so practical, but I don't know, something about this uh, just got to me. So to get started, what is the core of the soundtracks message? What's kind of the, the kind of the bottom line, big picture for this book? Yeah. So the core is really about overthinking and specifically about changing overthinking from a super problem into a superpower. When I was writing the book, I was shocked how many resources said, just stop thinking, stop thinking, stop thinking. And number one, that's impossible. Um, meditation, quiet time's great. That's 10 minutes to 30 minutes of your day. What about the other 23 and a half hours? And number two, we're designed to think. It's a real gift to be able to think. The joke I sometimes do is every blue jay has built the same exact nest as every other other Blue Jay. There's never been a Blue Jay that's like thinking about doing a townhouse, you know, I really want to <laughs> expand something in Buckhead, something kind of modern, like a postmodern. And so, but we have the ability as humans to think. And so the term soundtrack is just my phrase for repetitive thought, a thought you have again and again and again. And the reason I use that phrase was in a movie, when a movie starts, the soundtrack can change the entire emotional feel of what's going on. And often you don't even notice it's playing. And that's what our thoughts do too. And so I liked it as an easy handle for people to go, oh, that makes sense to me about how my thoughts work. Yep. And again, in a movie, because such a great analogy is what we're seeing doesn't change, but suddenly the soundtrack changes 
and our emotions immediately change. All of a sudden, I know something good is going to happen, something bad is going to happen, it just, just because of the soundtrack. And you make the point in the book, this is why it's so powerful, that our thoughts do the same thing to us in spite of circumstances that have or haven't changed. So anyway, so like a movie soundtrack, a thought soundtrack doesn't have to be um, loud to be powerful. So again, before we dive too far deep, give us a couple of examples or an example of a maybe a subtle soundtrack that kind of runs in the background. Well, one that I've thought about a lot, I interviewed a manager and he told me, John, 12 years ago, I got fired from my job. And he said, I recently noticed that every time I'm at work and a door closes for a meeting I'm not part of, I start to go, why am I not in that meeting? Who's in that meeting? Are there powerful people in that meeting or important there people in that? What's the agenda? And let's say, and so then I, you know, you pull the thread on that and go, let's say he does that 10 minutes a day you know, five times a week. What's the big deal? It's 50 minutes. Well, the big deal is over this 12-year period he's been doing that, that's the equivalent of 62 eight-hour workdays. And so what I often say is that overthinking steals time, creativity, and productivity. So that's a really subtle one where he didn't even notice he was doing that. Um, I want, one that's kind of funny for me is I didn't realize until my 40s that every time I see a scary scene in a movie, I pull my feet off the floor. And I tracked it back to in the fourth grade, I saw Jaws. I saw the movie Jaws and I thought the floor was water. And so Andy, I'm not exaggerating. If I watched a scary trailer of a movie right now, my feet would lift off the floor. So one day I'm in AMC and I'm like, why am I doing doing uncomfortable yoga to get my feet off the floor. And I realized, oh, wait a second. I think a shark might grab me during this tense scene in a movie that doesn't involve sharks. And that's a funny example. But what happens, you're, you're talking to leaders today. I'll give you a leader example. I meet leaders who are 38, 42, and they're getting more opportunities and more leadership invitations, and they're pulling back or worse, they're self-sabotaging. And if you pull the thread, you realize that at 15, at 16, at 22, somebody in authority said, you're not a natural leader. And they've listened to that soundtrack for 20 years. Yeah. So even though their entire company, entire church is saying, we see something in you, we see something in you, their soundtrack, they've, they've been listening to it for 20 years it's up against a loud wall of sound. And so those are some simple examples. Yeah, the, the one for me that I immediately thought of when I was looking at this content is, and I won't tell the story, but two incidents when I was younger basically said to me, Andy, you're not smart. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, Sandra laughs at me. And there have been so many opportunities that I have, and I guess this is part of the reason this content hit me so hard, that I have talked myself out of. Of course, I made up excuses, really. They weren't reasons, they were excuses, those paper walls that hold us in. And it was this in the back of my mind, and I'm, I am going to give an illustration in a few minutes, that just, I talked myself out of opportunities because I was so intimidated because it's like, you're not smart enough for that. You're not smart enough for that. Mm-hmm. So these things are so subtle, and they are not helpful. So anyway, going back to kind of the big picture, overthinking, because that's what the soundtrack is connected to, overthinking. So how do you define overthinking? And again, what's the connection between the two? So I define overthinking as when what you think gets in the way of what you want. So you see something, maybe okay, as a you leader. Stop. Wait, you have to stop there. That's yeah. such a big idea. What, when what you think gets in the way of what you want. And every single person listening It won't take you 30 seconds before you come up with a personal illustration of what you were thinking got in the way of what you wanted. Okay, keep going. 
Well, an example would be we all want happy marriages. And then all these extra thoughts that we add to the conversation get in the way of that. So that's how I define it. An example of a goal that a lot of people have where thoughts get in the way would be 81% of Americans, according to the New York Times, want to write a book. 81%. It's one of our most popular goals. And every year, if you look at Amazon Publishing, less than 1% of people do. So you go, well, why does that happen? And a big part of it happens because people go, okay, this has to be the perfect book. This has to like, they'll, I'll go, why are you writing the book? And they'll say, so that my dad knows my career choices were correct. And I'll go, what? That's a lot of pressure on a book. Like yeah. it's already hard. Don't add that extra thought. Like you'll never do it if that's the thought that's behind yeah. it. Yeah. So that's what I mean is that it gets in the way of what you desire. And the, the thing is, the things you desire, the things you're designed to do, they don't go away. They often turn into bitterness. Like I'll, I'll say like goals you don't finish don't disappear. They turn into these ghosts that haunt you. Yep. And, and the thing with a goal, Andy, is a goal is not just a goal. It's a promise. And it's a promise you made to your team, a promise you made to yourself. And every time you break that promise, it's easier to break the next one. So that's where it gets really tangled, where the, the core thought throughout the book is your thoughts turn into your actions, your actions turn into your results. And all too often, leaders overfocus on their results they want, and they never change the underlying thoughts that are shaping the entire culture and the entire actions. And so they don't get real results. So that's the challenge with overthinking. And so one of the things you say, too, is that because I would have gone here that overthinking isn't a personality trait. And when either I heard you say that or read that and I thought I'm an Enneagram one. And I remember Ian Cron, when he told me I thought I was a five, he said I was a one. And I said, no, I think I'm a five. He said, do you have an inner critic? And I said, well, everybody does. He said, no, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so when I think about overthinking, I tend to think, well, this is kind of a personality thing, but you make the point persuasively that know that everybody, whether you have an inner critic or not, the tendency to overthink things and to allow those soundtracks to talk us out of things is pervasive. Everybody struggles at some level. It's a human thing. It's a brain thing. I mean, we, so there's a PhD named Mike Peasley who helps me with the research. We asked 10,000 people if they struggle with overthinking and 99.5% of people said yes. So we could simplify it even further. An example would be if you've ever told yourself an elaborate story about why somebody didn't text you back. So you texted somebody, you waited 10 minutes, you waited an hour, they never responded, and you start to tell a story. Are they mad? Could, did I say something wrong? Should I have said something different? If you've ever reread an email you already sent, that's overthinking. That thing is gone. Reading that email a week later does nothing. Or if you've ever self-edited an idea. So before it even left your head and on a piece of paper, you said somebody smarter has already done that. So a more talented leader, um, a better leader has already thought that. I don't need to write that down. And you think about the works of art, the leadership ideas, the business ideas, the cures for diseases we've lost because somebody self-edited and overthought. It's not just one personality. And it's funny, Ian Cron told me, I thought I was a seven. He said, I'm a three. Um, so I guess like he's <laughs> just in- Why did we take the test? <laughs> yeah, that's what I just said. Call, I was like- call Ian. <laughs> yeah, I was like, every test said I'm a seven. He was like, you're pretty driven for a seven. I was like, fair enough, fair enough. The other thing I've heard you talk about is that overthinking it is a form of fear. Yeah. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, so it's I call it the sneakiest, greediest form of fear because of what it steals. Um, it does steal. Oh yeah. You know, think about the opportunities it stole from you. That you're you're mature enough to go, hey, I'm not going to dwell on those and replay those. But think about the conversations it steals because you don't call the father you haven't talked to in a month, and a month turns into six months, and six months is a lot harder than a month. You know, you don't write the book, you don't go on the diet. You think, okay, those are for smarter, different, better, more talented people. That's the thing that concerns 
concerns me is one, it steals opportunities. But think about that manager we just talked about, how much time it stole from him that he could have done something better with. Because if you said to him at the beginning of the 12-year experience, hey, do you want to donate 62 eight-hour workdays to a thought that's not helpful? He would go, no, why would I right. Why would I ever do that? And so that's what I really think is like, it steals our most important things, which is often our time, our creativity, and our opportunity. And that's the nature of fear. Fear is a thief. So the one that hit me is when I heard you say the soundtrack that goes like this, somebody else already did that. Somebody else already did that. Somebody else. I mean, when it comes to some big things that I've wanted to do that I'm too embarrassed to even say out loud and specifically something I wanted to write. And when I heard you talk about this, it just put a circle in my mind around, Andy, somebody's already written that. And you don't know how to write that way. This, it was specifically about a writing project. I have put off literally for years because the soundtrack of you don't know how to do it. Number two, somebody's already done it. And again, we're going to unpack this a little bit more in a minute with these questions. But when you went through these questions we're about to go through, it just shredded my excuses. And then I thought, how many other things, to your point, have I walked away from or backed away from because I over thought it. And essentially, it was fear masquerading as, as reason. So this is this is such a big deal. Okay. You specifically talk about how you approach writing a book. And I thought this was super helpful. Yeah, I think this is true. I kind of call this my Venn diagram for a best-selling idea. And that could be a book you write. It could be a sermon series you give. It could be a business you launch. I look for three things. Number one, I look for a personal connection. So am I personally connected to this content? Is there a real need in my life that I want to address? I'm an overthinker, so this one was obvious to me. Is there a need? Are people talking about it? Do I see it in culture? Does the survey say that people need it? And the third is, is there a spot in the marketplace for me or is it already over crowded. And I think if you have all three of those, you can do amazing things. I mean, my book finished, which you mentioned in the intro, I was a chronic starter and I wanted to learn, can I turn into a consistent finisher? I had half written books, half started diets, half written notebooks. Okay. There's a personal connection. Second thing, people came up to me and said, John, I liked your book start, but no offense. I've never had a problem starting. I can start a million things tomorrow. How do I finish? And I thought, oh, there's a need. The third was I went to my marketplace, which is Amazon. I typed in the word finish. The only thing that came up was dishwasher detergent. Because we as Americans celebrate the beginning of goals and we ignore the middle and the end. So once I had that for the topic of overthinking, I was able to say, okay, what do I really want to teach people? And Andy, it boiled down to three simple things. Because I like to take complicated subjects and simplify them. Can you retire your broken soundtracks? Can you identify the ones that are broken? Can you replace them with new soundtracks? Your brain wants to think. Your brain is waiting to be told what to think. And can you repeat those new ones so often they become as automatic as the old ones? You can tell I'm the son of a Southern Baptist minister with that alliteration, retire, replace, uh, repeat. (laughs) But that's what people do. And that's how they work through the process of, again, flipping overthinking into something that helps them versus something that hurts them. So say those three again. It's retire your broken soundtracks. So you've got it. So we got to identify them, which I think in a minute we're about to help some folks identify them. And then secondly, secondly, you replace them. So with you a replace different soundtrack. Yeah, new soundtracks, new, and yep. that's challenging for people. That's a challenge yep. because we're not taught how to think often. And then the third is you have to repeat them. You have to repeat them and make them part of your life. Um, that was the interesting thing. The book came out, and forty-eight hours later, people would go, "Hey, I re- I retired and I replaced, but it's not working." And I would say, "Well, the book is forty-eight hours old, so I know you haven't had a chance to repeat them." It's the same, <laughs> Andy. People come up to me with diets and will say, "John, this exercise is not working." I go, well, "How long did you do it for?" And they'll say, "I've been doing this exercise." 
exercise for 10 days. And I go, how long did it take you to gain the weight? They'll say 10 years. You gave the problem a decade to develop and the solution yeah. 10 days? That's so not nice to yourself. Let's give the, the solution a little bit longer. And that's the process. It's retire, it's replace, it's repeat. All right, so we're about to get super specific. And this is the content that just kind of knocked me back on my heels a little bit. You talk about this 30-second exercise that really is so powerful. So kind of walk us through this exercise to help us get started in terms of identifying and moving beyond unhelpful soundtracks. Yeah, I, I love tactical solutions. So this one's really tactical. All you have to do if you want to identify a broken soundtrack in your life is write down a goal. Write down a dream, write down a hope, write down a project. It can be anything. It can be, I want to lose 10 pounds. It can be, I want to have a better relationship with my wife. It can be, I want to start a podcast. I want to write a book. It can be anything. Write it down and then listen to your first thoughts. Listen to the thoughts that come next. The way I say it, the phrase I kind of use is, listen to your reaction because every reaction is an education. Is your reaction, that's amazing, Andy. You should write that book. You're the best to write that book. You're qualified. It's time. People are waiting on that book. It's going to be a process you can do. Or are they the reverse? Do they say, who are you to think you can do that? Somebody smarter has already done that. A million other people have already done that. Nobody wants that type of thing from you. It's failed before. The last 10 diets failed. Let's trot them all out right now. Why do you yep. think the 11th is going to be any different? So you listen to, okay, what was my reaction? Was it positive and pushed me toward action or is it negative and kept me stuck? And right now, everybody listening just did that. They thought of a goal and they immediately bumped into the, I can't, I'm too old, I'm too young, I don't have time, yeah. I'm too busy. I don't have the I'm, money, I, do, I don't have the, I don't live in the right, right city. I don't right. have the right opportunities. My yes. my family, like a great one would be, well, I didn't learn that in my family of origin, so I can't do it. You haven't, I had a counselor say, I said to him, I think I need to stop blaming my parents, you know, for my my mistakes now that I'm in my forties. I haven't lived at their house for 30 years. And he said, you lived at their house until about a year ago, John. I was like, oh my gosh, that is, that is like, put me in a body. Yeah. Bag. But that's the like that becomes one of those soundtracks. I didn't learn yeah. it like I've said that to myself before. I'm not handy because I didn't learn it when I was a kid. So for the next 40 years of my life, I can't figure out how to change a light bulb because like at 11, my dad wasn't like, let me teach you how to whittle. Like what? That makes no right. sense. But everybody, and I'll give you a specific one. Somebody told me, okay, John, I wrote down that I want to get healthier. I did your exercise. I want to get healthier. And then they said, I immediately heard myself say, you're too old for it. You're going to get injured if you exercise. Yep. You've tried before and failed. What's the likelihood you'll accomplish it now? And that's a really, really easy example. And then once you find one that's loud and in the way, that's when you bring in the three questions, which I, I like to think of these as Trojan horse questions. And you kind of hinted at them already. Yep. Here's the thing. All these, these soundtracks to keep us from doing things. Then we read an article about someone who did something amazing or read a biography and they had 10,000 reasons yeah. not to start, not to finish, yeah. not to try. I mean, and of course, we're so inspired. We've never been inspired by anyone who had everything lined up for them and it went in their favor. We wouldn't even be interested in that book, right? No. We are only inspired by people who could have picked any one of a hundred soundtracks, listened to it, and never done what they did. So we know historically or even experientially with other people, this is just silly. And yet it is so stinking real. Here's another application of that. When a friend tells me something they failed at or a weakness, I think immediately they're so brave. 
That person is so brave. When I'm going to tell a friend something I failed at or something I'm weak at, I think they're going to judge me, think I'm dumb, hate me, not want my advice anymore. So like, that's another one of those, like when some, when I see somebody go, here's something I failed at, I stand up, I applaud. I'm like, it's so brave. They did that. Like they, they, they went there, they shared that. But again, when I think about doing it myself and say to somebody, I need community, I need help, yep. I need accountability. I go, oh, that's weakness. No, you got to fix that on your own. Tell them about it a year later once you've conquered it. Like, yep. don't don't share it in the moment. And that's one of those where broken soundtracks get in the way of real relationship. There's another thing about, okay, they steal. They steal relationship because you think, I can't share this or they're going to think. And like, even you saying today, there's a writing project I've thought about specifically. Listeners right now, when they heard that went, but you're Andy Stanley. Like you're beyond overthinking. Like you've written... 15 mm. books, like, and you were honest enough to go, no, like, hey, there's a specific thing. That's that one got me. I'm in Chicago. I'm backstage at GLS. And I was like, oh, shoot. Like, John just stepped on my toes. He doesn't even know I'm watching right now. So I think that's part of it is that it robs us of relationship. And when we can share those broken soundtracks in community, amazing stuff happens too. So that's that's what's fun about it. Well, when I heard John share this content for the first time, I was actually backstage at an event. I was going to speak later and I was trying to go over my notes and ignore you. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to, I was, you were, you, you literally were in the background and I was just trying to kind of get my head around what I was going to talk about. And I finally just went to the notes page on my iPad and just started taking notes and thought, goodness, this may be why I'm at this event to hear this. Okay. So let's move on. So we got these three great questions that we are to ask every time the soundtrack begins. So walk us through those. Sure. So I call these Trojan horse questions because you know the words. You're not going to be impressed by the words at all. They're simple words. But if you'll actually ask them, and in this order, you'll learn something really important about yourself. The first question is, is it true? Is the thing I'm telling myself about myself true? Is the thing I'm telling myself about this friend true? Is the thing I'm telling myself about this relationship true? I mean, I know for me, there's times when I'm in some sort of broken soundtrack loop about a business situation. And I'm telling myself, that person's just out to get me. And you go, wait a second. No, they're actually on my side. We want the same thing. Like, they're not taking advantage of me. Like, we're trying to do that. We both want to win. Like, he wants to win. He doesn't want us to both to lose. First question, is it true? I always say one of the greatest mistakes you can make is assuming all your thoughts are true. The funny thing, Andy, is you never correct a thought when it's lied to you. So everyone listening has had a thought tell them that person's so mad at you. They're so offended at that thing you said. Like they've been thinking about it all week, just like you have. You then go interact with the person. They've already forgotten what you said. They weren't mad at you at all. And you never go back to your thought and go, hey, you lied to me that time. You got me on that one. The next time you tell me something, I'm not going to believe it as quickly. First question, is it true? Second question, is it helpful? Is it helpful? Does it push me forward or pull me back when I think this? So why do we ask more than one question? Because some things in life are true, but not helpful. Is it true the manager we talked about could be fired again? It is. That's true. Is it helpful for him to tell himself that again and again and again? Of course not. And we we did a teen version of this book called Your New Playlist because so many parents said, if I could have learned how to change my thoughts as a teenager, it would have changed my whole life. Wow. And one of the stories my daughter said in there, my youngest daughter, she failed a biology test. And a month later, she had another one. And the night before the test, she was telling herself, remember you failed, remember you failed, remember you failed. Is it true she failed that first one? It is true. Was it helpful for her to remind herself that a hundred times the night before? Of course not. And we said to her, if a friend texted you a hundred times tonight and said, hey, just wanted to remind you, you failed that last test. Just wanted to remind you, you failed that. Like, would that be a friend or a monster? Like the answer is obvious. Third question, is it kind? 
Is it kind to myself? Um, if I said this to a friend, would they still want to be my friend? And there's all this science about psychological safety and kindness and the role that plays on teams and individuals. So those are three questions. If you can't say yes to all three of those, it's definitely a broken soundtrack. So here's how this played out for me. So I'm listening to you, trying not to listen to you. And I'm thinking about this writing project I want to do that I keep telling myself, I don't know how to do it. And it's going to take me the rest of my life. Those are the, that's the soundtrack. I don't know how to write this. And it really, it's seriously, it's going to take the rest of my life. Is that true? Well, I don't know if I don't know how, because I haven't tried it. And no, it's not going to take me the rest of my life. I'm telling you, I was so hung up about that. And then is it helpful? Is it helpful to allow those two thoughts to get in the way of trying something I want to do? No, it's not helpful. So, I mean, retire, retire. And then is it kind? Gosh, if somebody came up to me and said, Andy, you don't know how to do that. You're so <laughs> slow. That's going to take you the rest of your life. They I would, hope you don't would, die before you finish yeah, that project. Exactly. <laughs> so then, no lie, the next week I'm in the kitchen. My son, Garrett, and his wife, Danielle, are over, some of our family. And I mentioned this idea. And she said, Danielle said, I've told her this. She said, you should definitely do that. That would be great. And she went on and on and on. And immediately, what do I hear in my head? Here they come again. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. It's not true, not yeah. helpful. And here is somebody who I respect telling me the opposite. Yeah. It's unkind. Again, just those three questions hold out up against those soundtracks. And not that we should always ignore every thought. And you're not arguing that. No, no, but no, we no, no. so easily dark our way out of that. So is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? Well, and I, I still use those. I mean, that's when I knew soundtracks would be helpful for other people is that I still use them myself. What's interesting about your example is it was related to something you've already done. Think about the people that feel the pressure for something they've never done. So the people who have never written a book, who have never shared an idea, you, you've you done that successfully. And even- And still, yeah. And still, like it said to you, you don't know how, you weren't thinking about starting a cattle ranch. It wasn't like, you're like, <laughs> it's time, you know? I'm gonna see if Sandra, yeah. <laughs> I saw an episode of Yellowstone, like everybody else, I bought a hat. Yeah. Like it's go time. Like you weren't, like, it wasn't, you were gonna become a helicopter pilot. You were saying- I'm, I like writing books. I have s- some success at that. I think I might do another one. And even then your, f- your thoughts were like, yeah. no, no way, dude, that's going to take like 40 years. Are you ready for a 40? Like every other book took a year or two. This one will take 40. And if we can share them with each other, we can go, wait a second. That's not true. That, yeah. That's not, that's not well, helpful. Well, again, so, the, these questions bring those lies out into the light yep. and anything that gets exposed to the light, we see it for what it is. And it's like, that's crazy. So for everybody out there who does need to exercise and you're afraid you're going to get hurt, you might get hurt, but you should exercise anyway, right? You should yeah. start that diet anyway. You should yeah. start that business anyway. Okay. So one of the biggest ways you encourage people to identify and then kind of turn down those broken soundtracks is through action. And you said, if action eliminates overthinking, I love this. If action eliminates overthinking, then inaction breeds it. Unpack that for us. Yeah. So there's a, there's a couple things I think about that. One, I'll I'll relate it to loneliness too. I think the big lie of loneliness is I need to spend some time alone figuring out why I feel lonely. 
Like that's this loop people get stuck in. They're like, I feel so lonely. I'm probably the only one. I should really think through why I feel lonely versus I need to be in community. It's the same thing with overthinking. You go, man, I really feel stuck overthinking. I should think about why I feel stuck and add more overthinking to it. And so versus going, okay, I feel this way right now. I have a lot of thoughts. I've asked the questions. Now, what am I going to do to turn down that overthinking? Mm. What am I going to do to approach that? And I really learned this lesson from a guy named David Thomas, who's one of the uh, lead counselors at this amazing organization called Daystar here in Nashville. I was talking to him about overthinking and he said, well, John, the problem is people want stress, um, overthinking, negative thoughts, whatever, to be a switch. We want to find a switch. I went to yoga and it switched off stress forever. I read a book and it switched off stress forever. And so we find these things and we do them for a week and we feel better, but then life gets stressful again because life gets stressful. That's what life does. And we feel like, wow, I failed. I need to go find a better, different switch. And we jump, 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 jump. We jump from job to job to job. We jump from relationship to relationship, hoping there's a switch. He said, life is really a dial. When life gets turned up loud, you get to turn it back down. So you need to figure out what are some turn down techniques. So when you have these moments, okay, and it can be you have a note card on your wall that says, you know, a soundtrack that you're you're working on replacing. It can be you reach out to a friend. It can be you go on a walk around your neighborhood, but you actively say, when life gets loud, when my overthinking gets loud, I'm going to turn it back down because that's my job. Like that's my responsibility. It's my privilege to do that versus going, I must have failed because now I feel stressful again. Mm-hmm. Like and that's where people get stuck is when they think life is a switch, when it's really a dial. And once you realize it's a dial, you go, oh, okay, I get to turn it down. What are, what, what's the list of things I use to turn down? And everybody, I think, has their short list. It is different for everybody. You, you say for some people, it's take a nap. I love this one. Just stop and write a thank you note. So there's yep. something about gratitude that just pulls us out of that funk. Because again, most of that is all about we become so self-absorbed. Well, think about this one. If you're lonely, if you're lonely and you feel stuck in loneliness, a soundtrack of loneliness, go volunteer. Find a thing you love and yep. then guess who's gonna be there? Other people who love that same thing. And every nonprofit in the in the country is going. We wish we had more volunteers. We wish we had more volunteers. So like, that's one of those where it's it's about action. You didn't think your way out of it. In a moment of clarity, I like to say in a moment of clarity, write down your five things, write down your 10 things, because you're going to forget them. That's the other thing. Fear for, steals good things. What does fear steal? It doesn't steal bad things. It steals the good things. So in a moment of clarity, write down, here's the five to 10 things that really light me up and really calm the stress. And especially coming out of the last two years we've had, to be able to say, Oh, I and I guarantee if you get stuck in an overthinking loop, you'll look up and realize you haven't done seven of those eight in two months. Like mm-hmm. every time I rediscover running, it's like finding an old friend. And I go, why did I stop this? And my wife will sometimes say, John, I feel like you should go run. And that's her kind way of saying, you are a huge jerk today. Yeah. <laughs> like I would love you to get some endorphins. Um, yeah. The family would appreciate you going on a run. And I'm often surprised at that. But a mile in, I go, where have you been? If running didn't leave. I forgot. And so a simple list like that can be one of those small hacks when you're in a stressful moment. Wow. So- Real quick, let's review. So the soundtrack, so you, the, we begin the exercise by thinking of a goal, something we want to do, something we've always wanted to do, something we've dreamed about doing, and then listen to those initial mental responses. Those are the soundtracks we need to underline, bold, um, write down somewhere, and then begin to ask those three questions. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? And if that becomes the pattern 
then essentially, you know, to use a New Testament phrase, we're basically renewing our mind yeah, to yeah. what is true, what should be true. Um, what you said about running, the same is true. That funk that I immediately climb out of when I go exercise, as much as I resist it, it's, it's the same thing. And everybody, again, those are life hacks that get us over the edge again to be able to, to see clearly. So there's so much more. And if you, gosh, you definitely need to pick up the book soundtracks. It's the surprising solution to overthinking. Um, any closing thoughts, any final thing yeah. you'd say to us, John? Yeah, I'll hit you up with one more on repeat. So we covered the first two. I'll give you a repeat exercise. A great way to repeat a soundtrack is to tie it to a symbol. So take something, a soundtrack you want to believe and tie it to a symbol. Um, an example of that for me in my own life, I was about to turn in a book and we had a family vacation scheduled beforehand and I knew that I was going to be physically present and mentally absent. I'd had enough evidence in my life that my wife was going to say, where are you? And she didn't mean that. Like physically, she meant mentally, where are you? So I, before the trip said on a post-it note, don't miss it. And I wrote it down, the phrase, don't miss it. I saw that phrase hundreds of times before the trip. When we were in Jackson Hole, which is where the vacation was, I was present enough to notice, well, the pine cones in Jackson Hole look different than the ones we have in Nashville. And I picked it up and I carried it back home 2,000 miles and it sits on my desk because I know there's going to be other moments I'll be tempted to miss. Wow. And so the way you make a good symbol is really simple. You find something that's personal, something that's visible, and something that's simple. Personal, so it's connected to you. Visible, so it's not in a drawer. You're actually bumping into it. And simple, so you actually use it. My favorite example of a great symbol was the, the Nike Livestrong bracelets. They were, they were personal. You never met somebody, Andy, that said, oh, this, I wear it because I hate disease. I have disease jewelry. These are my eczema earrings. Like, it was always <laughs> my aunt, my mother, my father-in-law. Right, like, it was right. personal. It was visible. Nike could have made it gray. They could have made it flesh tone. They made it bright yellow. And the third thing was it was simple. Nobody was confused by a bracelet. Nobody said, so the arm part goes in the whole part. So I would just encourage anybody, if they've got a thought that they want to believe, stack the odds in your favor because we live in a really loud world. So if you need to write it down on a note card, if you need to pick up a pine cone, and I guarantee after you listen to this episode, you're going to notice, wow, my fridge already has a couple. My nightstand has a couple. My car dash has a couple. My office has a couple. You're already using symbols. Now imagine if you really supercharge them, that's how you repeat. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, that's all the time we have today, John. Thank you so much for being here with us. And to all of our listeners, we want to thank you for joining us. And I want to make sure you check out John's book, Soundtracks, The Surprising. And it is surprising because it's so simple. The Surprising Solution to Overthinking Wherever Books Are Sold. And be sure to visit the andystanley.com website where you can download the Leadership Podcast Application Guide that includes a summary of this discussion and questions for reflection or for group discussion as well. As always, thanks so much for joining us and we will see you back here next time on the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast. Podcast.